Once more, welcome everyone. God bless you. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Franklin Campus, God bless you. We love you so much. Overflow. Thank you for worshiping together with us. Everyone in your Bibles, Luke chapter 11, verse 14. It's a rather famous American psychiatrist by the name of M. Scott Peck. Scott Peck, who wrote a very, uh, very well-known book called The Road Less Traveled. Uh, M. Scott Peck uh, died a few years back. He, he died as a Christian. But understand, when he started out as a professional, as a psychiatrist, he was not a believer, not a Christian at all. He would consider himself atheist or maybe agnostic, he'd say, uh, but not a believer. He really did not give the, the question of God any sort of serious thought at all. He was a scientist, a, a psychiatrist. But you really ought to read his story. The thing about Scott Peck is, in his work with people, in his work with troubled people, hurting people, in his work as a psychiatrist, Scott Peck came to a rather amazing realization. Scott Peck came to the realization that there must be a devil. Isn't that interesting? A scientist who did not believe in God came to belief in God through the back door. He came to the belief in a radical kind of profound evil at work in the world because he saw how many hurting people there were and he saw the depths of their hurt. He came to the belief in the devil. Honestly, if he'd been raised fundamentalist like me, he would have believed in the devil all along. Our preachers could scare you to death on the devil, baby. That They preached on the devil all the time. They would teach us to play our records backwards. That's back in the day when you had records, and you could play them backwards. They would teach us how you could play them backwards to hear the devil's voice and then tell us never to do that. It was amazing. Uh, in the old days, people could find a devil behind every bush. And, and I'm telling you, I sort of grew up that way. I grew up rather afraid of the devil and, and thinking a lot about the, the devil. I'm afraid now we kind of swung the other way. And for the most part, preachers like me don't say much about the evil one. For the most part, we don't hear a lot about nor think a lot about the forces of evil. But I want us to come back to Scripture this morning to a passage that I've never preached. And let's look at what Jesus said, what Jesus taught, what Jesus believed about the forces of evil. In preparation, I just want to tell you two things. I think there are two mistakes that we make when it comes to the devil, when it comes to believing about evil. The first mistake is not to believe. The first mistake is not to believe, and I want to make that very, very clear. Most people that you know fall in this category now. They simply stop believing in, in an enemy, stop believing in any kind of force of evil that works against the forces of God. But you've got to understand, if you read Scripture and take it seriously at all, this is a fundamental concept. You believe in God, you believe in heaven, you believe in angels, simply understand that there are a whole portion of the angels that God created that set them themselves up in rebellion against God. And there are still evil angels active in, in the universe, in the world. We call those demons or devils. There is a prince of those demons or devils. His name is Satan. Lucifer, you've heard all of this, but I'm telling you, this comes from scripture and it would be a mistake not to believe. But I want to tell you the second mistake, and this is equally important. I think the second mistake that others make is to believe too much. Now, these are the people playing their records backwards, and, and these are the people who, who, who constantly see a devil but behind everything, behind every runny nose or behind every disease, that they can see the devil, think about the devil, fight the devil all day long. And I just want you to understand that neither one of those patterns fits Jesus 
when he was on earth and when he was teaching. So let's come back to Jesus' teachings. I don't want you not to believe. I also don't want you to give the devil more than he is due. So let's come back and see how Jesus taught us when it comes to Satan. This is a fascinating scripture, Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Take out a pen, take out a pen and underline some important words and phrases here. Luke 11, verse 14. One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. But some of them said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan. The word they use there is an ancient word, Beelzebub. You ever heard that? Beelzebub. That's the word they use. The word Beelzebub literally means Lord of Dung. Y'all know about dung. Lord of dung or Lord of the flies. Flies and dung go together, understand. Beelzebub means Lord of dung, Lord of the flies. He gets his power from Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Others, trying to test Jesus, demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Now, he just cast a demon out of a guy, but apparently that's not enough. They want a sign. Verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts, so he said... Any kingdom divided by civil war, a kingdom divided against itself, is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say, I am empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how can his kingdom survive? And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? You see, the Jewish priests, they also exorcise demons. They also cast out devils. What about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I'm casting out demons by the power of God, now stop right there, underline the word power. The word power there is not really the word power. The word power in the Greek is is dunamis, like where we get dynamite, explosive power. But the word here that Jesus used is not really power, it is finger. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man like Satan is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons and carries off all his belongings. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. Key verse, verse 23. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds that its former home is all swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. As he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mama, the womb from which you came and the breast that nursed you. Jesus replied, even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Yeah, let's really talk about it. Let's really talk about what this scripture talks about. This whole thing comes out of a controversy. What is the controversy? What is the controversial thing that Jesus does? Somebody tell me. 
He casts out a demon in public, in front of a crowd of people. Jesus delivers a man from a demon. I love the way the scripture says it here. One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man. In the Greek it says, and it was dumb. <laughs> the, the demon was dumb. The word there is mute. It's saying that the de- demon was this devil that caused this man not to be able to speak. He cast out a demon and it was dumb. I, I, I love that. Because honestly... One of the first things you need to understand is, is that, it, it, that truly there are demons, but they are dumb. Truly there are forces of evil. Understand that fallen angels, whatever you want to call them, but they are pathetic little creatures. They are not something to fear. Now I'm not saying that they don't have power. Scripture teaches that they do have power. But not the kind of power that you're thinking of. That the forces of evil are more like parasites. A, a demon, if it were to come into your life, would worm its way in like a parasite. These are pathetic little creatures. But understand, they can, they can uh, usually assume great power in the lives of people who will give them great power. We give them the power that they have. So Jesus steps in this day in front of the crowd and he cast out a devil and it's very controversial. But honestly, the fact that he did it is not the controversial part. Don't miss this in scripture. The Jewish priests, they cast out devils. They did it all the time. We have ancient records of their exorcisms that they did this and it wasn't controversial when they did it. When the Jewish priest would cast out a devil, it was awesome. Everybody would circle around to see it. They always did it in public. It was always a show to be seen. The the priest who was leading the exorcism would, would purify himself in a ritual of purification. And then he would gather 10 other very strong men in faith, very strong Jewish men who would surround him. And this team of 11 would be the exorcism team. And they would approach the person with a devil. And when they would approach him, they would approach him in this ritual of power. They used words of power. They would use the Old Testament names of God in order to gain authority over the evil spirit. And of course, the ancient names of God were effective in gaining power over evil. Of course they were. But I'm telling you, these 11 men would begin then to use the names of God and then use these incantations, these sort of magical words in their minds, often coming from the protective Psalms in the Old Testament. They would use the Psalms, they would use all kinds of phrases and lines to try to gain the demon's name. They believed that they could get the demon to reveal his name, that then they could, using that name and the name of God, command the devil to leave. And they did that. They did that. But it was hard work for them. It was really, really hard work. According to ancient documents, it hardly ever went off like they were hoping. It just hardly ever went easily. The demon, once it moves in, you see, it likes to stay. And so the ancient Jews came up with other ways to get the devil to leave. Sometimes they used a process called fumigation. What's that sound like? Fumigation. You're right. They smoked him out. They would use smoke or stink to try to stink him out. They would try to fumigate the the demon out of the person's body. They'd smoke him out. When smoking him out didn't work, then sometimes they just tried to beat him out, to beat the devil out. That's what my daddy tried with me years ago, just to beat the devil out of him. And they did that. They would try to just beat the devil out, and sometimes that would work. 
In one very, very famous exorcism with the Jews, they used this magic ring and they pulled the demon out of a guy's nose, they said. They pulled it out of his nostrils. That's impressive. The question for the Jews, though, is always, how do you know when the devil leaves? How do you know if they're effective in driving the evil out of this person's life? And so they would develop little things. They would sometimes look for exit wounds. The Jews believed that the demon would leave through the toenails or fingernails. So they looked for maybe a, a bloody fingernail or a bloody toenail. That wasn't always very effective, though. So they started setting up a bowl of water, and they would ask the devil kindly to turn that bowl of water over on its way out. Oh, I'm not making this stuff up. Man, when the Jews did an exorcism, it was a ritual of power. It was public. It was impressive. It was better than television. And that's what the crowd is used to. Do you understand this? This is what the crowd is used to. The fact that Jesus is casting out devils, that's not controversial. What is controversial is that there is not much show here. Jesus drives the devil out so easily. Jesus does it with no kind of ritual of power. Jesus just orders it to leave. Do you see that? It's kind of like when my grandfather used to make the kids get off the couch out of his spot. He'd just go, get. And that's how the devil drives out demons. Get. That's how Jesus drives out demons. Get. Do you see that? One day Jesus casts out a demon from a man who couldn't speak. And when the demon was gone, the man could begin to speak. Do you understand? It's just that simple. One sentence. Jesus just says, get. And that's controversial. That's amazing. The power that Jesus has over the forces of evil that's amazing. And that is controversial. The people have never seen anything like this. And so the question becomes, where does his power come from? How can anybody have power over evil like that? This man commands the devil like he's been doing it forever. This man commands the demons and they leave like they know him. Do you understand this? This man does this and they can't figure out where his power comes from. He must be the devil himself. That's what they say. His power must come from the devil. That's crazy. That's crazy. And it's also blasphemous. To look at what God is doing and say the devil must be doing that. that that's serious blasphemy. And that's why Jesus launches in to his teaching here. There's much that this crowd needs to understand about how evil operates and what Jesus has in the way of authority over evil. And this crowd here this morning, we need to understand the same thing. We've got to get this. About 10 years ago, we were tearing down the old building across the street. Some of you will remember that. We really didn't know what to do with the place. It was a 100-year-old building made out of all hardwood, gigantic beams in the floor, most of which had been water damaged through the years. But the whole ceiling was hardwood, and we knew there was some good wood in it, so we decided to trade with the Amish. We traded with the Amish. They would come and take down the building at no charge just for the salvaged wood that they could take, so that was the deal. It was a cold, cold, cold day, I believe, in January when all the Amish came up in this long, long parade of buggies and horses. You know about this? Uh, buggies and horses coming over the railroad track, and they pulled in. It was amazing. All of these Amish men with their half beards and homemade britches and their hats coming out with no power tools, nothing at all in the way of power. They're just going to take this building down, and they start doing it. It was great. Now, our guys couldn't help not being Amish, of course, but we still stood around to watch. Watching other people work is really a lot of fun. 
I was standing over there next to W.B. Adams. W.B., you remember this? We were standing over there on the side of the building over where the Golden Circle class used to have that door that, that, that went out this side. Nobody ever used that door. There was an old set of concrete steps, and there was an old iron handrail screwed to the building with, with the oldest, rustiest screws you've ever seen. And somehow, taking that handrail off the building became the job of these two little bitty Amish boys. Little bitty Amish boys are helping them in. They were wearing their homemade shirts and their homemade britches, and they came up with this little Amish screwdriver. And they got there beside that door, that handrail, and they were just, just turning. And, and it was never going to turn. That little Amish screwdriver was never, ever going to get those rusty screws out of that 100-year-old building. They were just turning. WB's just standing there, just watching them. So finally these little boys walk off. They, they just walk off. They're obviously going to go to go get help or going to get a bigger Amish screwdriver. Here's WB. WB, I love you. WB never said a word. Never said a word. He just went over to his truck and he got out a big power driver. Gigantic power driver. He went back to that rail. Took those screws out. Went back to his truck. Put his driver down. Went right back to his spot. <laughs> these little boys come back with this giant Amish screwdriver. They walk up to the rail and poof, it just falls off. It just falls off. They just look at each other. It was awesome. It was so much fun. It's such a great picture of little power and great power. Do you understand? It's an amazing picture of, of little power and, and great power. Jesus says... You're wondering how it is that I cast out the devils. You're accusing me of being of the devil myself, but the devil can't cast out the devil. You understand? No kingdom turned against itself can stand. I'm casting out the devil, Jesus says, by the, what's the word? Finger of God. I just love that. There's a whole sermon there. Do you understand that? Jesus says, I'm doing this by the, Little finger of God. This is not even great power. Do you understand the power that God has over the forces of evil? There's no contest here. Now, I know that when you've seen movies about demons, you saw Rosemary's Baby or, or Paranormal Activity 2 or, or The Exorcist. I'm telling you, in Hollywood, demons will scare you to death. In Hollywood, I'm telling you, people's heads are spinning around. The demon will come and grab the baby right out of the crib and the baby goes, I'm telling you, in the movies, it's amazing. In real life, it's just not quite like that. Did you understand? They are pathetic little creatures. And the power of God is overwhelming to the power of evil. Do you not understand this? There's no contest. The devil is real. Absolutely, he's real. But he's not the equal to God. He doesn't know everything. He can't read your thoughts. He can't be everywhere at once. That's God. And the devil is not God. He's not even close to being God. He's a fallen angel. He's a creature. He's a creature. And the only real power he has is to lie. That's what the Bible says. The only real power he has is to lie. But let's give the devil his due here. He's a very good liar. He's a very, very good liar. And like a parasite, he will use his lies to worm his way into your life. 
This is why Jesus in his teaching says something very, very important and very, very critical for you to understand. Verse 23, anyone who isn't with me is against me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. You see, the truth is there really is a battle going on in the world. Surely you can see it. I know that you don't always want to see it. I know that sometimes in your own mind you want to pretend like life really doesn't have that much at stake. But but I'm telling you, there's that much at stake. Truly there is a battle going on. And Jesus says something very, very important here. He says there's a battle and there are two sides. There really is the side of God, the forces of good, and the side of evil, the forces of evil. And anybody who's not on my side, Jesus says, anybody who's not with me, they are against me. Do you understand? There's no neutral position here. I know that some of you were thinking that maybe you'd just be like a spectator in this whole thing. You would be like an innocent bystander. And you just let the forces of evil and the forces of good go at it while you just continue you know, to watch cable TV and, and eat chips out of the bag. That's what you're thinking, that somehow you'll stay neutral. But Jesus is saying there is no neutral here. No neutral. Growing up in the country, did y'all ever used to do the thing where you're like, you're, you're going to the barn, a bunch of kids, and somebody says, last one of the barns are out and egg. Did you ever do that? Last one of the barns are out and egg, and everybody starts running. Well, see, I was always slow, so I learned a trick. When somebody says, last one of the barns are out and egg, I could always say, what? Not included. Isn't that great? Not included. And somehow, at least in my own mind, that means I'm not in this. Now, I'm still going to be the last one to the barn, whether I run or not. But somehow, because I say not included, then I won't be the rotten egg when I arrive. See, some of you, when Jesus says, anyone who isn't with me is against me, you're going, not included. Not included. Jesus says, anyone who's not working with me is actually working against me. You're saying, not included. I'm telling you, you're included. You are included. Because Satan is real. Because evil is real. Because the devil, being a pathetic little creature, honestly can't do anything to get to God. He cannot defeat God. He can't do anything to turn back what Christ has done on the cross. He is defeated by God. Now God's just mopping up. Do you understand? He cannot turn and do anything to hurt God. Therefore, he simply turns against what God loves, and that would be you and me. He turns against what God loves. If he can somehow mar the image of God in you or in me, then somehow in his mind he's getting back at God because God loves you. God loves me. God loves our families. God loves our country. God loves the world. So the devil turns down and he attacks you. Whether you consider yourself included or not, you've got to understand the devil considers you included. Whether you consider yourself working for or against God, don't you understand? You are doing one or the other. There's no neutral ground. There's no way that you can exempt yourself from what is happening in the grandest way in the universe. God versus evil. You're in this. You are in this. Because the devil's going to bring you in this. He already has. 
See, I, I know I say that and you just sort of not believe me because again, you've got this Rosemary baby, Rosemary's baby picture in your mind of what the devil's like, what it looks like when he gets a hold of a person. It's not like that. Maybe that's his best lie. Maybe he thinks that, that if you're picturing this guy in a red suit and a pitchfork and horns coming at you, and if you're watching for that, you'll never really see the way he slips in your life through your thoughts and attitudes. Do you understand? He worms his way in like a parasite. He doesn't have to beat the door of your life in. He will just find a very simple way to slip in. And he slips in. He slips in. And when he slips in, he wants to stay. It's an amazing parable in in this scripture. I guess you could call it the parable of the haunted house, and I've never heard anybody preach it. But it's interesting. Back to verse 24. When an evil spirit leaves a person, now we have no idea here what Jesus is talking about. We don't know why the evil spirit leaves, but we get some hints in a moment. When an evil spirit leaves a person, It goes into the desert searching for rest, but when it finds none, it says, I'll return to the person I came from. That's interesting. I'll go back. So it returns and finds that its former house is all swept in an order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. You may be thinking, that's weird, but what I really want you to think is, that's probably happened to you. You've experienced that. Notice, these are red letters. This is Jesus talking, and Jesus knows what he's talking about. He's talking about something that happens in our struggle, my struggle and your struggle against the devil, against evil in our own lives. This is about your life. You are this house. You understand? You're this house. And somehow in the parable Jesus is using here, the evil spirit leaves. Now, this isn't a Jesus doing this. We know this because when the evil spirit comes back, it finds the house what? Empty. It finds emptiness. So this isn't really a situation where the powers of good, where Jesus comes and pushes the evil out of this person's life. This is something different because when the evil, evil one is pushed out, there's emptiness there. There's nothing that takes its place. A whole lot of people I know, they really, really want to be good people. They want to be good people. They do not want to be evil people. They they don't want to do things that are bad or, or wrong. They want to be good people. But most of the good people I know, they want to be good, but they don't want Christ in their lives. Do you know what I'm saying? They want goodness. They want to be good people, but they don't want to surrender themselves to Christ, the only one who can make them righteous. Do you understand? And so as a result, in my life and in your life and the people you know, we have this tendency, honestly, to really work for good in our lives. And we recognize sometimes that there is evil or bad things in our life. And we start trying to push those things out. And some of you sitting right here today, you have that. You have evil in your life. You have habits and and hang-ups. You have things in your life that are like parasites that rob you of your joy and your contentment. You have these things, and you really want to get them out of your life. And some of you work very, very hard to push these things out of your life. They can be small things. It could be the diet that you have been on since fourth grade. 
That, that diet, and you know how that is where you're going to be on a diet, and today is going to be a good day. You're not going to fall off the wagon. It's going to be a diet all day long, and you diet through breakfast. All you eat is like juice and, and, and maybe, I don't know, a, a crumb of bread. And then at lunchtime comes around, and you eat four raisins, and, 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 and you suck some water out of a paper towel, and you're being so good on your, on, on, on your diet. And then at supper, all of you eat is a dried-out piece of grapefruit. And then right before bedtime, what happens? You eat a whole bag of Oreos and a whole jar of mayonnaise. <laughs> what happens? You know I'm not making that up. What happens? You try so hard to change your ways. You've got this filthy mouth and you decide that you're going to quit cussing. You're just not going to say those words anymore. You're not going to cuss anymore. And all day long you're just... Mm-hmm. You're just doing such a good job of not cussing. And then what happens? You hit your thumb with a hammer one time and it just blows out. Just blows out. Why is this? You tell yourself that you're gonna, that you're gonna find a, a different group of friends, that all of your friends are a bad influence. So you begin to separate yourself from all of the bad influences in your life. But, but what happens? It only lasts for so long. And there may be a period in your life when you actually feel better and you may actually do better. Some of you in this house, in the sound of my voice, you're battling crippling addictions. Some of you, nobody even knows the way you drink. You've got everybody at church fooled. Nobody even knows the way you're addicted to drugs. Nobody knows the pills you take. Nobody knows you're smoking weed. And you're thinking to yourself that somehow you're going to manage to beat this on your own. You'll do this by yourself. Nobody ever has to find out. And so you try that. Just cold turkey. You just stop. But it never lasts. And for some reason, when you finally go back, you end up worse than you started. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You can't defeat evil by just pushing out evil. You can't do it. Because when you push these things out of your life, your life, your heart, the house remains empty. Honestly, all you're doing is just tidying up a bit. You're rearranging the furniture. But I'm telling you, only Jesus can truly clean the house. Only Jesus can truly help you move these things out of your life. Because when Jesus moves the evil out, he's going to fill your heart with himself. It's not enough just to push the evil out. You've got to put something back in its place or else your life becomes this vacuum. Your life becomes this sucking hole for evil. And some of you are living this right now. Do you understand? It's like a house, Jesus says. Truly, the scripture says, our bodies is like a temple created for one purpose. It is supposed to be possessed. My body is supposed to be possessed by the Holy Spirit of God, created to be a temple for him, a house for his spirit. But if I do not allow the Holy Spirit to fill my life, don't you understand? The life remains empty. Your heart remains empty. And it becomes a sucking hole for whatever the devil can worm in there. Controversy wasn't that Jesus drove out demons, you understand? That wasn't the controversy. That wasn't what amazed them. What amazed them was the ease and power with which he defeated evil. 
Jesus was God in the flesh, and when he came on the scene, evil began to scatter like cockroaches, began to crawl and come out like turning on the lights in a roach-infested kitchen. Do you understand? This is what happened in Jesus' day. But it was nothing for him, nothing for him to command evil. And it's nothing for him to do it in your life as well. Honestly, he's the only one who can drive these habits from your life. He's the only one who can take your mind and make it more compassionate. Do you understand? He's the only one who can change the way you think about people different from you. He's the only one who can make you care about the fact that homeless people get cold on nights like last night. Do you understand? Jesus is the only one who can fill your heart, push out the evil. I'm I'm telling you, you're not a bystander in this. The devil's not going to leave your kids alone because they're on the honor roll. Do you understand? This is real and it's true. It may not be true in the way that Hollywood has portrayed it. We're not talking about Rosemary's baby here. We're talking about your life, your heart. Many of us give the devil a foothold in our life. We give him a small place, but don't you understand? He's like the guy in Jesus' story who moves in and then wants to take over and never, ever wants to leave. It is not in your power, not in your power to defeat him. It is not in your power to change and make yourself a better person. It's not simply about saying no to evil and no to sin and no to bad things. It's not just about saying no to the devil. This is about saying yes to Christ. It's not just about cleaning up the house of your life. It's about letting Jesus fill the temple of your life. You understand? You need power. You need deliverance. You need Christ in your life. Until you let him fill your life, you are a sitting duck for whatever the devil wants to put inside your life. You're powerless before him. But in Christ, he is powerless over you. I'm asking you this morning, Say no to evil, say no to the devil, but most importantly, say yes to Christ. What he wants to do in your life, what he wants to place and replace in your life, you surrender yourself to Christ. Pray with me. God, there are those in this house today who are in full participation with the devil and the forces of evil, and they don't even know it. Lord, they look in the mirror and they don't see an evil person. Lord, they look at the way they spent their week and the money that they're making, and for the life of them, they can't understand what could possibly be wrong with with them. Lord, others of us, we sense the battle in our lives and we struggle and we fight and we continue, Lord, to turn over a new leaf and we continue to try and start over in our own power, Lord, but we don't have that power. It's not in us. If we could change ourselves, we would have already changed ourselves. We can't do it. God, some of us continue to live lives on this roller coaster of cleaning up our lives and then falling back in and cleaning up and falling back in the dirt, Lord, and we're so tired of this struggle. 
Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the one, the only one who with the little finger of God can transform us and deliver us from everything that's taken our lives prisoner. Lord, today I pray that you would stir us up and make us recognize the battle that rages all around us in our school, in the place where we work, in our own home. Help us to recognize, Lord, that we are included, that we are engaged in this fight, and we must align ourselves, Lord, with you, your power, your purposes. God, I pray today that you would drive out the strong man from our hearts, that you, oh God, would come into our hearts, rush into our hearts, fill us, and push out everything that does not belong in our hearts. God, it is not in our power to bring such a change. But Lord, it is what you promise to everyone who opens the door of their heart to you. Oh, Holy Spirit, we invite you to possess us. Let our bodies be your temple. Let our mouths be your mouth, our hands your hands, our feet your feet. Holy Spirit, take full possession of our hearts that we might be on the Lord's side and find victory in our lives. We pray this in his name of holiness and power. Amen.